This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moranalytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. Play ball. God, I've been waiting for six months to be able to say that. Welcome to the Moranalytics Podcast. Today is Thursday, March 29th, and this is our first Thursday show. Happy Major League Baseball opening day, my friends. Yeah. Bar none, this is one of the best sports days of the year, if not one of the best days of the year, period. Piss on Valentine's Day. For real, though, seriously. There's nothing better than opening day baseball, nothing more American and traditional than the first day of baseball. On today's show, I'm joined by the founder of Bronx Pinstripes, a huge New York Yankees blog. I'm talking about Scott Reinen. Scott's also the co-host of the BP podcast, which is currently ranked among the top 100 sports and recreation podcasts in the entire world on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, whatever it's called now. Seriously, this podcast is ranked higher currently than some of the biggest names in the sports world. I'm talking about the Adam Schefter podcast, the Rich Eisen show, the Michael K show, Jim Rome's podcast. I could go on and on for days. That's how big and how good this freaking podcast is. Anyway, I talked to Scott about the BP podcast and website. And of course, about the New York Yankees. I pick his brain on their first base situation, Aaron Judge, Aaron Boone, and many other New York Yankee topics. After that, I'm joined for some WWE talk with John Elba, sports director at ABC7, Fox 22 in Bangor, Maine, and the co-host of the Living the Gimmick Wrestling Podcast. John and I break down this past week's Raw and SmackDown shows as the road to WrestleMania is less than two weeks away. I'll get to both those interviews in a minute. Before that, real quick, had my fantasy baseball draft last night. It's the ninth year of our league, and it's one of my favorite things. I flat out love fantasy baseball far more than any other sport, and especially the draft. I had the second overall pick in our draft this year, and I already knew Jose Altuve was going first. The guy who had him said so, and, and I knew he wasn't lying. So I'll tell you, I had a dilemma. Mike Trout clearly is the best player. He's probably should have went number one. He's no question he's the best player. But I'm not going to lie to you, man. I sat there all day, which is why I love fantasy baseball so much. I sat there all day, literally debating if I was going to take Trout. Probably the only reason why I wouldn't take Trout second overall if he didn't go first was because I already have him in another league. And having him in both leagues, to be honest with you, is kind of fucking boring for fantasy baseball managing purposes. I don't know why. Maybe it's just me. But having him in both leagues is kind of boring when there's so many other franchise superstars out there. So I really wrestled with taking either Nolan Arenado or Giancarlo Stanton. And Stanton would have been a homer pick. But I'll tell you what. Your boy is going to have a mammoth season in New York. Mammoth. You like that word? He's so well protected in that lineup. It's a hitter's ballpark. Plus, he's going to spend a lot of time at DH. So let's wear and tear on his body being in the field every day like he was in Miami. At the end of the day, I gave in the logic and common sense. And I took Mike Trout. You can't pass on Mike Trout when you got the second pick and he falls into your lap like that. 
Then in the second round, and I admit this may have been a bit of a homer pick and a little bit of a reach, but I took Luis Severino in the second round, 23rd overall. I took him ahead of guys like uh, Carrasco and, and Jacob DeGrom, Strasburg, Jason Verlander, a couple others. Love the kid's potential. I think he'll be better than last year. Plus, I wanted the Yankees ace on my pitching staff. Sue me. The sleeper pick I desperately wanted and, and I got was Whit Merrifield of the Royals. Took him early in the seventh round. And here's a hot take alert. I'm telling you this right now. Whit will have 90% of the stats that Trey Turner has this year. And Trey Turner went third overall in my draft. The other guy I really wanted, and I was willing to draft him significantly higher than his ADP, was another, and you guessed it, another Yankee, Didi Gregorius. In fact, I was prepared to take him in the ninth round, which is about two to three rounds at least higher than mock drafts had him projected going. But my friend and fucking crazy fellow Yankees fan took Didi in the fourth round, 46 overall. Crazy fourth round, Didi Gregorius in the fourth round. Why are you the way that you are? Honestly, every time I try to do something fun or exciting, you make it not that way. Oh, well. Anyway, my overall strategy, I wanted to take a few guys who are currently injured and they'll be back relatively soon. And because they're injured, they slid down the board. I ended up getting JT Realmetto in the in the 15th round. Got Michael Conforto in the 17th. And I got Danny Salazar in the 18th. And I'll tell you right now, it may take a month or two, but Danny Salazar could be one of the top 10 best starting pitchers in baseball. I truly believe that. I love fantasy baseball and I love draft night with my buddies. Even if I don't know half the people in the league anymore. I hope you guys are stoked for opening day. Few quick predictions. I need to do this now so that in about six months I can come back and realize what an asshole and how wrong I was with these predictions. I mean, who doesn't love self-deprecating humor, right? I got Carlos Correa winning the AL MVP, and in the NL, I'm going to take Nolan Arenado. For the Cy Young, I'll go with Chris Sale in American League, as much as it pains me to do that. And in the National League, I'll go with Noah Syndergaard, assuming that a Mets talented pitcher can actually stay healthy for a full season, which would probably be a first. And last but not least, and call me a homer all you want, I really don't give a shit, but I got the Yankees coming out of the American League. They're going to face the Dodgers after they come out of the NL. And just like both 1977 and 1978 when I was a very young kid, I got the Yankees beating the Dodgers to win ring number 28. So suck on that, haters. All right, on to today's show, and it's a good one. Here's that interview with Scott Reinen, followed by some wrestling talk with John Elba. My guest today is founding father of Bronx Pinstripes, not just one of the biggest New York Yankee sites on the web, but literally one of the very best. He's also the co-host of the BP podcast, which is one of the best Yankee podcasts on the internet you'll hear anywhere. I'm talking about Scott Reinen. What's going on, Scott? I'm glad you could take a few minutes out of what's been a very busy week for you to come on and uh, hop on here with me. Appreciate it. Yeah, man. My pleasure. My pleasure. It's good to be here. (laughs) Guys, when I say that he's taking time out of a very busy schedule, I'm not lying. You guys are doing a podcast every single day this week as we uh, led up to opening day here. Yeah, no, it's been it's been a, a whirlwind. I feel like I'm back in the playoffs of 2017 when we recorded an episode after every game. Not not as bad because those are ridiculous hours, but yeah, we've been uh, we've been on the phone quite a bit with some people. We got some some good guests coming up this week. We're we're going around the league as far or in the division and talking to uh, different different reporters and uh, writers that cover their their respective teams. So we got Brian Hoke coming on also for uh, for our Thursday show. So yeah, it's going to be a fun week. That's awesome. Now you started Bronx Pinstripes back in 2011. What was the inspiration for that at the time? Um, you know, I just, I was, wanted to have a hobby that was, uh, that got me to follow the Yankees a little bit more. I mean, I've been obsessed with the New York Yankees for as long as I can absolutely remember. Uh, growing up in North Jersey, I was about 20 minutes from the stadium. So I used to go there all the time. When I was a kid, and 
I don't know. I was just looking for something to do. To tell you the truth, it was a it was a hobby of mine, um, and, and there, I saw some uh, some voids that I wanted to try to fill on my own. And uh, it started as me writing a couple articles and making some horrible graphics, and then uh, bringing on <laughs> <laughs> bringing on people. Um, you know, as the years went on, and uh, we got to a point. I mean, we're at like you know twenty or so writers now, and um, I think my graphics have gotten a lot better since the first day I made them, but. Um, I was teaching myself Photoshop through, uh, I call osmosis. I'm just like staring at the screen and hoping that the skills of Photoshop come into my brain. And, uh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's kind of how I started doing it. But yeah, it just started off as a hobby really. And then kind of took a life of its own. Uh, yeah. Speaking of a life of its own, it started as a hobby and maybe that's all it was, but man, this thing has grown. You're talking now, you guys got over 80,000 followers on Twitter. You're an official partner of the yes network. So what started out as maybe a little small niche hobby from you, it's grown to a hell of a lot more than just that. Yeah, you know, I think one of the big reasons is because I love the New York Yankees. And I think when you find something that you are uh, that you uh, do no matter what, whether you're getting paid for it or not paid for it, and, and, and trust me, there's not a ton of money in doing all this stuff <laughs> by any means. Um, if you don't have a passion for this, uh, for, for doing this type of thing, then it's just not going to last. If you're looking for uh, a quick buck on, on, on the blogging side, then you're seriously in the wrong place and you should probably get your head examined. But, um, you know, the, the, the reason it's gone on and the reason I think it's taken on is because, you know, I think the passion comes through. We, we bring on people that are also passionate and that's the number one uh, criteria is, is one, you got to be a passionate fan. You got to want to do this. And then uh, after that, you know, we make sure that you can put words together on a, on, on a computer that makes sense. Now I, I mentioned at the top, the BP podcast, Holy shit, man, that podcast is awesome. And don't just take my word for it out there, listeners. You're, you guys are ranked. I, I checked the charts right before we started talking, and you guys are ranked among the top 75 sports and recreation podcasts in the world. I looked, you're ranked ahead of, right now I looked at the charts, you're ahead of powerhouses like the Adam Schefter podcast, the Steve Austin podcast, the Rich Eisen show, tons of other big name pods. It's got to be a pretty goddamn incredible feeling, man. Sitting back sometimes. I know you guys put a lot of work into it. But you got to sit back sometimes and be like, man, this we've we've arrived. You know what I mean? That, that's got to be an incredible feeling to look at the chart and see your name up there with some of the most popular people in mainstream America. Yeah, no, it's definitely cool. It's definitely one of those things when you uh, when you look and you're you know you kind of hope you uh, continue to climb. But uh, you know, I, I think a lot of the a lot of the reason why we have done so well in the charts is because we have a very loyal fan base. We have a loyal listener base that they actually goes on to iTunes and Apple podcasts and, and does a, you know, writes a written review because without those reviews, without those downloads, without the people that actually listen to us uh, talk on a, on a weekly basis, it's uh, it, you know, it doesn't exist. So um, there's a lot of teamwork, honestly, when you have a community like this, you got to have, you have to have community involvement because if you don't, it's just, you're not going to ever get to that point where, um, you know, you can start getting heard by more people. So it's a, you know, they all work together. It's a catch 22. You need to, you need to put out good content and then you need the the people who listen to your content to actually feel engaged and involved enough to want to go on and, and give you those four or five stars, hopefully five stars every time. But you know, that's a, that's what gets you up there. For you, did the podcasting thing come naturally? Is it something that felt natural to you? You feel like it's still a work in progress? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's always a work in progress. I think if you're doing anything, you want to continue to strive to be better. Um, I, I had This wasn't my first show. I did have a show before this, which kind of got me into podcasting in the first place. I had a show called Behind Sports. And if you listen back to the very early days of that show, you could you can tell that you know I was certainly not as as comfortable as I am now talking into a microphone. And um, I think I started off doing it as a as a video show, and there weren't very many of these video shows happening, these video interview shows. And I used to interview people uh, in, in that worked in sports, basically, and a lot of different athletes that had charitable organizations and, and things like that. And I did about fifty episodes, uh, but I, I got. I kind of got tired of uh, of just, you know, trying to get other people's stories out of them all the time. And I wanted to talk more about, you know, mainstream events, things that are happening that are more relevant to the day in sports. And, you know, that's when we looked around and we're like, Andrew actually was, it was his idea to start the Bronx Pinstripe show. Um, and uh, yeah, I was like, it just, it absolutely made sense. So we started it and and again, you know, we've been having fun. We haven't missed a we haven't missed a week, and this is going. This is our third year, so we have not missed a week uh, since we started. That's pretty incredible, actually. 
What what would you consider right now at this point like your favorite and your least favorite thing about doing the podcast? Um I probably the least favorite thing is probably the editing because I still do the editing. Uh I I would I would definitely uh I need to probably push that on at some point, but you know, I'm I'm a bit of a freak when it comes to the sound quality and things like this. So I like, I kind of like putting my own little stamp on it and I like mixing in the music and things like that. So part of it, I do like, um, I don't like the time that it takes, uh, to do the editing, but as far as the podcasting itself, you know, I, I truly enjoy it. It's a, it's an outlet for me. It's, it's almost a, um, it's almost a therapy, if you will. You know, it's a, I get to come on uh, twice a week now and and talk Yankee baseball with uh, with a good buddy of mine for you know for an hour or for two hours a week. So it's a lot of fun. I really can't say that I I, I I dislike any part of the actual podcasting. Now you said you grew up close to the stadium. Where do you live now? I actually live in Virginia Beach. Uh, I'm, but I'm during the summers. I'm up in New York probably 60% of the time I have all my families up there. And, uh, so we're, we're constantly up in New York. Um, but my wife's family lives in Virginia beach currently. So usually during this, during the winters, we're here mostly the full time. And then during the summers, like for instance, this, this summer, I'm going to be up there, uh, almost literally 60 to to 70% of the summer. So, um, we kind of go back and forth quite a bit, but hopefully looking to, to get back up to, uh, the, the upstate New York area, uh, in the next year or so full time. Now you guys got to go down to Tampa this over this past weekend, catch out a couple games. Uh, what was that experience like for you? I'm, I'm assuming that wasn't your first time down in Tampa. It was actually my first time. We were both at the game Saturday. We didn't get a chance to hook up, but that was my first time being at George Steinbrenner Field. I live in Florida now. I've been down there for about close to two years. I thought the stadium was awesome. The atmosphere was great. What were, what were your thoughts on in, in being in Tampa? Yeah, I love it. This is our third year doing this. Uh, we've We've decided to make it an annual trip. But, you know, we were there the year before the renovations. And then last year they had the renovations to, uh, to, to the, to the, uh, the big, the big Stein, the boss and the renovations were awesome. I think they did a really good job in, in, uh, in the different changes that they made to the stadium because they're just, it's a lot more fan friendly. Now there's a lot more open areas. You can walk all the way around the park, um, you know, the food options aren't the greatest in the world, but you have, uh, you have pretty much anything you need. Honestly, like I, I like being down there because you get to see the, the green grass, the warm weather, and it just gets you in the, in the feeling of baseball again. And after a long season or a long off season, when you're up, up North and you know, you get the gray winters and you're just ready for that. And then, and it kind of gets you going. So, um, I, I really enjoy, uh, enjoy going on there every year. It's been a lot of fun. I think next year we're going to stretch it a little bit longer. Now, we saw Saturday's game. They played Toronto. Didi went deep. And I don't know if you were paying attention at the time. You know, I was trying these to. Games, try, yeah, yeah <laughs> sometimes. Exactly. So you know, you know what I'm saying. Stanton hit a bomb. Did you actually, yeah. did you see the home run? I did see that one. I was actually, I was on, on uh, right next to first base at, on the field level at that point. I was coming out, going down to say hi to a friend of mine. And um, I saw when he hit it, it was, a, it was a, a laser. I mean, it got out in, in less than a second, it seemed like. He smoked that ball. Yeah, he did. Now let's let's switch and talk about actually the Yankees team. Probably the biggest story of spring training, one of if not the biggest, is Greg Bird's injury. He's going to be out anywhere from four to eight weeks, maybe even a little bit longer. The team announced he just had surgery. Uh, how much of a blow is that to the team, and what do you see them doing in his absence? Yeah, I think it's a big blow. I mean, it's same story, different year. It seems like literally yeah. almost to the week. It was the same, the same, the last week of spring training in 2017 when when Bird came up uh, limping around on that foot as well, and it really never went away until we saw him, uh, you know, the last month of the season. And what do I think they're going to do? I think they're going to, you know, they're going to try to find a platoon over there. I think Neil Walker now looks like a, a tremendous move by Brian Cashman. It just goes to show you that you can never have too much depth. And especially if you have an opportunity at a quality switch hit bat that has good experience and as a veteran leader can play multiple positions and is the, and the contract is, is, is absolutely perfect. Like 5 million bucks. You take that, you know, people were, were talking about the Neil Walker, uh, acquisition like it was unnecessary well it's it's only unnecessary and until it's not and pretty quickly it was it it became very necessary because i think neil walker is going to get a lot of time at first base we're going to see tyler austin getting time at first base and you know he has an opportunity now i think to to take advantage of this last year he was in a similar position but couldn't stay healthy himself so you know we'll see but i think we're going to see a, a bit of a platoon over there 
Now, one thing the Yankees didn't do this winter was pull the trigger on a big pitching trade. How do you feel about the rotation right now? How do you feel about Jordan Montgomery as the fifth starter? And how do you feel about that Yankee rotation as a whole going into the season? I'm extremely happy with it. I think it's got a, a very a very uh, good amount of room to grow and, and the potential is extremely high. I mean, you're, you're talking about three guys who at one point are, are considered and on most clubs would be a, their number one with, uh, with Severino uh, Tanaka who came back and had a, a phenomenal second half. He looked like the old Tanaka. And then you have yeah, Sonny sure Gray is the number three. I mean, like Sonny Gray is the number one on, on, you know, 80% of the teams in, in, in baseball. And he's our number three guy. And you have, well, technically he's the number four to start the season, but um, you have CC Sabathia, who again is this, uh, you know, this guy who knows how to pitch now he's embraced that role of, um, you know, kind of, uh, you know, similar to what Andy Pettit did. He knows the velocity is not there, but he can work the count like anybody else. Um, and then yeah, Jordan Montgomery, this is, this is a guy who was in the running for, for rookie of the year. He had, he had a bunch of votes for rookie of the year last year. He had a tremendous season. I think he's only going to get better. I think he's growing. I think he's a smart kid. He knows how to pitch, uh, and he's learning to, uh, to, to be even better. And I mean, look at the guys he has around him to, to help him out. I mean, it's, I, I really didn't understand why we were, you know, looking at another starter when we're talking about the guys that were mentioned, because those, the guys that were mentioned, you know, um, and, and the ones that were available at the end of free agency, like the Lance Flynn, the Alex Cobbs. And then we're, you know, we're going out and looking at some of these other middle of the rotation guys. Like, can you convince me that they are better than a second year of Jordan Montgomery? It, it would take a lot for you to convince me of that, because I think, you know, the ceiling is a lot higher for uh, Jordan Montgomery. So I'm extremely happy. We'll talk about the strength of the Yankees with the bats. I mean, they got bats that go on for miles. But to me, the real strength of this team is that bullpen. I don't think there's a better bullpen in baseball. And that's why I feel probably as good as I do about this team that goes in the season. Talk about this bullpen because I don't think there's a better bullpen in the league. Yeah, I mean, you look at the guys in there and there's, you know, former closers up in town. You have... Uh, Aroldis Chapman, who will most likely be the guy in the ninth inning. You have Dylan Batantis, who's taken the ball in the ninth before. You have David Robertson, who is a full-time closer at times. And then you and then you start going down the list of, of other guys that are just dynamic. You know, the Tommy Canleys of the world. Uh, he had uh, a really good second half when he was with us uh, after that White Sox trade, and he was good in the first half. Um, Chad Green, who, you know, put together probably the, the best season of all of them last year. And if you ask the guys in the in the bullpen, they say Chad Green's got the best stuff of any of them. So, you know, there's there's it's deep, it's extremely deep. And the, I think the biggest thing about this this bullpen is that it's flexible. You know, I think we're going to see Chapman in the ninth inning. I don't think that's going to change because that's just who he is and where he is. But I think right. I think we're going to see Boone uh, mix and match some of these other guys. And and you know, that's the beauty of it. They could uh, if there's a fire to be put out in the fifth inning, we might see David Robertson, and that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it is a luxury that a lot of teams around here wouldn't have. How, how worried are you, if if at all, about Aaron Judge as he goes into his second season and that potential traditional dreaded, quote-unquote, sophomore slump? Is that something that's like prevalent on your mind? Does that really concern you? No. I think Aaron Judge is a special player. I, I think we're looking at somebody who's uh, he's different. You know, We're going to look back in 20 years and say, this is, you know, just me thinking about how, how his career is going to pan out. I think in 20 years, we're going to look back and say, we saw one of the greats play. And uh, it's not just because of his physical abilities, because those are off the charts. But when you, when you hear him talk and you see that the way he studies and, and, you know, the methodical approach that he takes to hitting in the off season as well, you know, this is a guy who, who doesn't take anything for granted. He's always trying to improve. And, you know, all of that combined with the physical talent, uh, you know, the only thing that I think potentially could de- derail Aaron Judge in any kind of long term is an injury. Um, and God forbid something like that happened. But, you know, when, when you're dealing with a guy with a bigger body like he is, um, you know, anything can happen. But I, I really do think he's a special player. And, and I'm not concerned about a sophomore slump because, you know, I just think he's too good for that. As things stand now, heading into opening day, what part about this roster concerns you the most? Like what, when you look at this roster, you say, uh, you know, I'd like to see maybe not necessarily an upgrade right away, but what concerns you the most when you see this roster right now? If yeah, anything, I mean, it's got to be first base. It's first base is the is the obvious answer, I think, because you know, going into the season, we were hoping Greg Bird was going to be 
was going to be healthy and through the spring he was healthy and looked looked good. Uh, came on at the end of last year, had a really good playoff run. Um, but now he's he's injured and, you know, they say four to six weeks, but for six to eight weeks, whatever it is, you know, I do I believe that? No, I don't. I, I think it's going to be longer than that. I, I It's just, you look at his, uh, you look at the, the pass for Greg Bird and he's had a problem staying healthy, period. And, you know, I, you know he's going to need rehab after he's uh, starting to get healthy and do all the baseball activities again. So first base has got to be the, the, the one area, I think, uh, that is concerning because look what happened last year. I mean, we had, we had to deal with Chris Carter for half a season and that was oh, God, just not abysmal, <laughs> you know, but um, hopefully Tyler Austin could stay healthy because if he can, I think he's a, um, he's one of those guys that, that could really, uh, you know, take advantage of this opportunity. This is what he needs. He needs an opportunity like this because I don't know how long the New York Yankees are going to uh, deal with Greg Bird and this injury problem, because if he doesn't come back healthy and prove that he could be healthy at some point, the organization's going to have to move on only because they can't count on him. I completely agree. How comfortable should I be if I take Stanton within the top six, seven picks in my fantasy draft? Give me some <laughs> fantasy advice here. Am I good? Is he going to have a huge year on this team? Man, uh, I haven't played fantasy baseball in a while, but I can I can tell you that I, I, I think he is... Um, I think he's going to have a monster year. I think he is going to, I mean, look at the lineup around him. He's got so much protection. Every single guy in this lineup has protection. There's, he's not a, you know, a one superstar guy in a crappy lineup. He's one in, in, he's one guy in a lineup of nine who all have very, very good potential and all can handle the bat well. So yeah, I, I mean, I think you're pretty damn safe taking a, a guy like Giancarlo Stanton. You know, he has for average, he hits power, he's going to drive in a, a ridiculous amount of runs. You know, the only thing that you can think of at this point is if there's an acclimation period to the American lead. But, you know, I have a feeling that that, that, uh, that little learning curve will be pretty quick. He's a first-time manager, so we're not going to really know anything until the real bullets start to fly, starting today, actually, as the season opens. But what's your initial impressions of Aaron Brune over the spring? Yeah, I like it. You know, he's a guy that as soon as I heard his name mentioned in the, you know, all the rumors of who were, the Yankees were looking at at that point, once they let Girardi go, I thought as soon as they said his name, I'm like, well, why are they even talking to this guy if he's not really seriously being considered? And, you know, with the narrative of relationships and and paying a little bit more attention to the analytics and all of those things that is, you know, trendy in baseball now and and, and seems to be more important in today's game. I mean, the players are all much younger than they have been over the past 10 to 15 years. So you need a guy who can relate to, to those type of players as well. I think Aaron Boone is absolutely perfect for this roster. Um, I, I think he's going to do a, I really do think he's going to do a phenomenal job. I, I think that, yes, it's his first year managing, but at the same time, you know, his dad was a big league manager for a long time. The conversations that he's had, he's a baseball lifer himself. Um, and he's a, he's a real cerebral guy, you know, so he studies the game. And I, I think, I think he will uh, have a lot of support in that dugout too. I mean, you got a guy like Larry Rothschild who does have experience managing the game, and then also he's got experience uh, in this in this clubhouse and in this dugout. So you're, you're he's going to lean on him, and he's already said that he will. So I think Boone's a smart guy, and you know if he if he needs help, he'll he'll ask for it. So I'm very confident in him. Looking around the American League, as we wind this down, we look around the AL. In your opinion. What team can what team scares you the most? I mean, obviously, the, the obvious answer would be Houston, but between Houston, Boston, Cleveland, who do you look out there and be like, man, it's coming down to us against them in the ALCS? I, I you know, I hope it's Boston. I really do because <laughs> I so want I. I want a New York Boston ALCS very, 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 very badly, and for two reasons. One, that would mean Houston's no longer playing in the playoffs. And I'm, I'm okay with that because they've gotten pretty cocky, I feel like, over the past year. Uh, and I think they need some cold water poured on them. Um, but really, it's selfish reasons because I want, I want this rivalry to get back heated up. Uh, I don't think it'll ever really be what it used to be because the Red Sox didn't have a championship when it was at its height. And when you have a, a fan base that is, you know, going 100 plus years or whatever it was for uh, a championship. You know, there's a different type of hate that you can muster up for uh, yeah. a team like the New York Yankees. And I kind of love that. You know what I mean? Like they were they were the team we wanted to keep them down. And I think that's why that rivalry was so big at that point. But yeah. now I think it could be, you know, it could be close. It, it could be up there and extremely heated. It's a lot of new guys, a lot of young guys. 
Um, so I think, uh, I think it could be something. And I think you need that, you know, that playoff series for that to really, really get going. So that's, that's kind of my hope. So yeah, and I think Boston's that team. They could be very good. Their offense is going to be much better, uh, more power with J.D. Martinez. I mean, he's a force to be reckoned with in that lineup. And you look at their pitching staff and, uh, you know, I, I think they have... They have some injury concerns, but if you look at the two top, if they if if they have a good season, Sale and Price, you know those are two of the the better top top two guys you'll see in the league. So they're dangerous. You know, I couldn't agree with you more. And as a Yankee fan, to me, I want Boston to be good. It makes the rivalry better. I don't want yeah. Boston to be a five hundred team in fourth place in the AL East. I want them at their best. I want to beat them in the playoffs. And, and I would think that if you're a Boston fan. You should kind of feel the same way about the Yankees. To me, the rivalry is the best when both teams are good and they're fighting over something. Not when one team's great and the other team sucks. You know what I mean? It, it's no fun when the other team is is bad because, you know, it's there's no juices going at that point. Like you gotta have both teams at their peak and and when that and when they when they collide in a meaningful way, that's when your emotions start getting crazy and you start becoming a lunatic a lunatic fan and you know, all sense goes out the window and, and that's when sports gets great. Oh, no question about it. Last Yankees question is and then we'll wind this down. What are your thoughts right now? How close do you think Andahar and Torres are away from from being on the Yankees? From being contributors on the Yankees. Well, I, I think the situations have to play out for them currently. I think that's gonna be uh one of the one of the things. If you see if you see Brandon Drury go out there and have a very good start of the year, it's gonna be tough for Andoir to get, you know, get spots at third base because um people forget that Drury's a young guy as well and, and he's got a you know a, he's got more experience in the major leagues and he's a good ball player. And I think there's only room for him to go up. I think he can be a very good ball player. Um so I think Andor now that they're also talking about him going and spending you know twenty to thirty percent of his time when he's in AAA at first base, I think that's yeah. a that's a big thing for him. I think if he can if he can show that he could play first base, um, then that might be a, a faster path to the bigs right now with the situation that we have with Bird. Um, Absolutely, but his bat's ready. I think everybody agrees with that, and he actually showed pretty well in, in the spring training with his glove. Um, but Torres, you know, Torres is going to have to show that he can that he's that he's playing well. I mean, I think he has to play himself into a spot. Uh, Tyler Wade's going to be the second baseman. I think you'll see some Neil Walker over there as well. But Tyler Wade had an unbelievable spring and also another young guy. So, you know, if Tyler Wade is up here in the Bronx and playing well and he's doing all the things that he needs to do, why would they bring Torres up at that point? There's no reason for them. They, they might as well just keep him down there and and let him play every day as the uh, as the second baseman in, in Scranton. So I think opportunity is going to have to present itself for both those guys. All right, guys, listen, if, if you're a Yankees fan and you're living under a rock and you haven't already, be sure to check out BronxPinstripes.com and subscribe to the BP Podcast on Apple Podcasts. Follow them on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and all that other fun stuff. Scott, again, I know how busy you are this week with all the recording for the podcast coming up, not to mention the website. So I really appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on. And I definitely hope to talk to you again throughout the season. Yeah, man. Hey, it was my pleasure. It was a lot of fun and, uh, and best of luck with all this. Um, it's, it's going to be a fun season. So, uh, I'm looking forward to, to watching some good Yankee baseball. It's going to be uh, it's going to be a whirlwind. That's for sure. You just made the list. Michael Cole, shut up! The house that AJ Styles built! Who wants to walk with the lion? This is my yard now. I'm joined by ABC7, Fox 22 Sports Director in Bangor, Maine, and also the host of the Living the Gimmick Wrestling Podcast, John Alba. John, dude, what's going on, my man? Oh, Pat's just been just crazy. There's been so much, so much to catch up on in the last week between uh, pro sports and pro wrestling. I, my mind is ready to blow up, man. There's been so much going on. How are things up there in Maine? I mean, we couldn't be any more different geographically. You're all the way up in Maine. Yeah. I'm all the way down in Florida. How are things up there? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm a Jersey 
Jersey guy who's bounced around through Connecticut and New York, and now I'm up in Maine, and I'm leaving Maine soon. So it's it's chilly, but we're we're getting by, man. We're we're doing all right right now. It's just uh, it's just uh, we're we're around the river bend trying to get towards that later parts of spring because it doesn't start to feel like spring here until around mid to late May. So that is what it is. <laughs> Yeah, it's the complete opposite down here. Right now, it's glorious. This is paradise. It's beautiful, but that's going to change soon. It's going to get hot, and it's going to rain every day, and I'm going to be like, please, God, get me out of here. So Yeah, hey. I was down in Orlando a couple weeks ago, and it was a nice little escape for me, but back to the cold and this, just not good, man. Not good. <laughs> yep. Speaking of not good, it kind of ties into where I'm going with this. We're on the road to WrestleMania, obviously, and now... We're inside of two weeks from WrestleMania. I'm looking forward to it. I always am. I'm a wrestling mark. Have been all my life. Always will be. But I'm just, I'm not quite into it as much as I want to be right now because I just feel, and maybe you disagree with me, and by all means, if you do let me know, I just don't feel like the Raw and SmackDown Live programming these last couple weeks has has done a lot for me to, to really get me in that WrestleMania mode. What do you think? Yeah. Well, WrestleMania is a show that kind of tends to sell itself. And it's the one show a year that you can kind of get away with just throwing whatever you have in the tank at the wall and seeing whatever sticks. Because, you know, WrestleMania is WrestleMania. It's a big deal and it sells itself. I think there have been signs of brilliance on both shows in areas, but overall, I think what you're saying certainly has a degree of merit. Um, you know, I think the stuff with Daniel Bryan the past couple of weeks has been excellent. Sure. Um, I think Cena's ability to try to make this somewhat unbelievable program with the undertaker, somewhat believable. It's, it's a valiant effort as he's always just so incredible on the stick, but, uh, no, I, 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 I get where you're coming from. But at the same time, man, there's a lot of intrigue to this WrestleMania, which is going to be the biggest WrestleMania ever. I mean, we're looking at 14 matches. This might be like a seven and a half, eight hour show when all of a sudden done. Yeah, that is crazy. You know, I've up until this point, I've only had one podcast per week on Mondays. I love wrestling and I want to talk wrestling. I just simply haven't had the time. So probably my favorite thing about having a show on Thursdays now is being able to have guys like you on the show and talk wrestling. So what I want to do right now is run a little bit through the Raw and SmackDown shows that we just saw this sure. week. I'll bring up a couple things and then I'll ask you for a take or two on it and you let me know what you think. And I want to start with Raw because my favorite part of Raw on Monday night was right at the beginning, the Paul Heyman promo with Brock in the ring. Roman comes down, they have their physical confrontation you know, Roman briefly shows signs of hope that he can, you know, overpower Brock, but then Brock quickly destroys him for a second straight week. It, it establishes Roman Reigns as the, you know, as that big time underdog to the fans, which is rare when it's Roman Reigns. And it, it's kind of like, all right, well, this is meant to get the fans behind him. But, but, you know, of course, the way it is with him, most fans love seeing him get the shit kicked out of him by Brock Lesnar. <laughs> so, you know, of, of all, but I will say this. Of all the angles right now that are progressing towards WrestleMania, this might be the one, or maybe not the only one, but more than any other one, this this last two weeks with Raw, it's been the one that uh, it really has me more intrigued. I want to see Brock versus Roman at WrestleMania now. I can't wait to see it. And I'm going to be honest with you, two weeks ago, no way, was not interested. Now, now I am. Yeah, I think that's a credit to how talented everyone involved in this particular program is on a multitude of levels, obviously starting with Paul Heyman, who is the epitome of a promoter. Uh, everything that you'd want in a promoter, Paul Heyman does. You know, last week's episode of Raw, the angle they did with the Marshalls, got sympathy on Roman to a degree, but then the more Brock went at him, the more the crowd started chanting, one more time, and you deserve it, and all that stuff. And you know, there's that hole with the whole Marshalls thing, because let's be real, if, if someone actually beat up a bunch of U.S. Marshalls, you're going to prison. It's <laughs> that simple. And this is the world of wrestling, and we suspend our disbelief. But Paul Heyman, in this week's promo, made up for that logical. And he said, I I just brought in a bunch of MMA guys and threw them in U.S. Marshall jerseys and threw them out there. 
with Roman Reigns, just to try to mess with him psychologically in case he showed up. And that's the true brilliance of Paul Heyman when all said and done to connect those holes and sell this program. You know, I would much prefer... I mean, it's hard because this is a three-year, going-on-four-year experiment with Roman Reigns right now. And, you know, you can't book it in the traditional babyface heel way where you book the babyface to be in peril, to be the underdog, as you alluded to, and expect fans to get behind it. It works to a degree, but then the fans look at Brock Lesnar and they say, well, this guy's a badass. I I want to cheer for him. And, And how could you not want to? So it's going to be a weird dynamic in, in New Orleans when all said and done. Plus, you factor in the whole idea that Brock Lesnar might be wrestling his last match at WrestleMania. So it's a very strange dynamic, but I agree with you. I think it's going to be hard-hitting. If it's anything like the WrestleMania 31 match, it'll be excellent. And uh, it's just a matter of the reaction that you get, and that's going to be uh, the most telling thing out of it. You know, one more quick point to that, and you mentioned this potentially being Brock's last match at WWE. Back all the way at WrestleMania 20, word got out that he was leaving and it was done. I was at that crowd at Madison Square Garden in New York against Goldberg. I'll never forget it. Yeah. The crowd shit all over it. So if it is his last match, I hope that it does not become public because I really want to be able to enjoy this match. And yeah, I, I and, don't and need the crowd. Have, Go ahead. I'm what sorry. you have to remember about that, too, is that that was Brock Lesnar pre-established. Uh, you know, he had only been wrestling at that point for about two years in WWE. This is now a totally different Brock Lesnar. This is a guy who comes and goes as he pleases as is. So I don't think if that's the case, you're going to get that kind of reaction. That's a very good point. Very good point there. All right, so moving on. Nia Jax, she beats Mickey James. Alexa tries to take a cheap shot, backfires, she runs off. I'll get to that in a minute. Uh because Bailey, later on in the show, Bailey and Sasha Banks go at it backstage. What's your thoughts on that? Here, here's my take. I want to care, but I just don't. They prolonged it for so long. And what's the payoff now? They're two weeks from WrestleMania. They finally go at it with each other. And they're both going to be in the women's battle royal. I feel like this. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're, you are certainly on to something. Here's the deal. I was at that NXT Brooklyn match between Bailey and, and Sasha back in 2015, and it was one of the greatest wrestling matches I've ever seen in my life in person um, at any level. And it was such an incredible story told because you knew the history between them. And a feud naturally built itself for the main roster, but I think you're right in the sense that with that time passing, Bailey is nowhere near the star that she should have been or could have been. Right, You know, the handling of that character dating back to last year's uh, April pay-per-view in San Jose, where she lost in her hometown clean to Alexa Bliss. That was the beginning of the death of the Bailey character. And uh, I'll tell you, man, we always joke about it on our show. How do you kill something that's already dead? You look at Bailey and you keep trying. Uh, <laughs> they, you know, they've, they, they've tried. They've tried and to, to give her a little bit of life. She's the baby face in this program. But it's going through this WrestleMania Battle Royal and probably a couple shows beyond that. Does it matter as much? I don't know. We need to start seeing motives. We need to we need to be introduced once again to Bailey's character. Why should I care about Bailey's character? Why should I be invested in her? Why should I be rooting for her over Sasha Banks, who's one of the most talented ro- women on the roster? That's what you need to reestablish with Bailey, and that's not something you can do in a matter of a couple weeks like they're trying right now. I imagine this will go long past Mania. And you'll see the long-term investment on that end. How much? How much, in your opinion, does that Raw Women's Belt matter? Like it's on Alexa Bliss right now. She's in a program with Nia Jax. That matchup at WrestleMania, because she has the belt, does it make it all the more appealing to you? Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, the the story has been told between Nia and Alexa for sure. Um, you know, it, this is about the bullied overcoming the bully, and and that's the story here. The championship is kind of just. Uh, on the, you know, it's, it's, it's on the back burner of it, which you could say, well, that really sucks. But also at the same time, you're going to get one hell of a championship match between Oscar and Charlotte on the other end. Uh, and, and Alexa Bliss and Nia is not going to be a long match. You know, uh, just look at the way the size differentials, I wouldn't book that to be anything longer than a six, seven minute match, just because 
believability alone, why should I believe that no matter how accomplished Alexa Bliss is, she should be able to beat someone who's almost two times her size? Right. Very good point. Moving on, Ms. TV. <laughs> maybe you agree with me, maybe you don't. Miz is the best heel in, in WWE today, or, or one of two anyway. What a great segment. Teasing friction between him and the Miz Taraj, you know, with, of course, with Seth Rollins and Finn Balor out there. I don't know about you, but I actually thought that was a really strong segment. Yeah, I oh, know. I thought this was a great segment. Uh, Miz, actually, uh, from when we're recording this right now, uh, just about 10 minutes ago, announced his baby was born yesterday on Tuesday. So, uh that just came through. I know they were worried that it was going to come at WrestleMania and he was going to have to pick between wrestling his match at WrestleMania and being in the hospital with his wife. Thankfully, he doesn't have to make that choice. Uh, but he deserves everything that comes to him because this guy's amazing. He, he really, uh, from a character standpoint, is one of the strongest that they have, and it's guaranteed heat whenever you throw him out there. And you want to be a babyface on the receiving end of that uh, because it benefits you greatly. And, and you know, there were times in the past couple of months where I've thought that, okay, Seth Rollins and Finn Balor in particular have maybe been on the losing end of certain decisions and certain directions with certain characters. But I think this set everything up nicely, especially with Finn Balor standing tall at the end of this. And it showcased what Curtis Axel and Bo Dallas are both capable of doing as well, uh, both of whom are, in my opinion, very strong performers in multitude of facets and don't necessarily don't necessarily always get that exposure. So I thought it benefited everyone. This is a good segment. Do you like Michael Cole? I, I can't stand Michael Cole. There's a point in the show where he's talking about the, the after Bailey and Sasha, he's talking about them being in the women's battle Royal. And then he poses a question. What's it going to do for the evolution evolution of the women? I'm, I didn't, I'm like, dude, it's going to get them a spot on the WrestleMania pre-card. That's fucking what it's going to do. <laughs> it's like just throw all these women who don't have a match in there, let them do their thing, but don't talk like it's furthering any evolution. It's pretty much, it's the same thing as an eight woman tag match. It means nothing. I don't care if it's Sasha, Bailey, Becky Lynch, whoever wins it. And maybe I'm wrong here. I don't think it means anything at all, except for them to get a spot on like what you said may end up being a seven or seven and a half hour card. I will reserve judgment on any announcer because I, I know how hard it is in any regard to go out there and perform. And, you know, cause I, I don't just do this. I, I also perform uh, in independent wrestling and I know how hard it can be. I've been behind that microphone calling a match. I've been in the ring cutting a promo. I know how hard it is. I, I, I think everyone has their own tastes. And when it comes to WWE, you know, things are things come across a certain way on TV because that's how they're intended to come across. And I think that's really all I can say to that. And, you know, you're told what to say in a lot of situations and that's the direction that you're given. I think, you know, when it comes to Michael Cole in particular, if you go back to last year's UK tournament where we're seeing Nigel McGuinness, I thought he did a hell of a job calling a lot of those matches sure. and show just what he can be. And he produces the NXT announcing, which I think is, generally pretty strong. So, you know, I mean, you have certain restrictions in any work environment. And I think sometimes that that's just a consequence of action in that regard. Maybe. Speaking of tough gigs, well, maybe tough, maybe awesome. I don't know, but how about this Jamie Frost? She, she makes her WWE debut <laughs> on TV, gets a couple words in, gets her head, gets her soul kicked off by Oscar. <laughs> you talk, yeah. That, that's it a memorable was, uh, debut. Hey, you know what? She had a great promo and she threw a couple nice punches too, but, uh, <laughs> Hey, whatever, you know, you, you need that kind of talent sometimes to, uh, continue someone's, uh, streak going into a big match. And I'll tell you, man, I, I really think Oscar and Charlotte, I really hope this coming week on SmackDown, it's treated as a very big deal because it should be, because that has potential. And I talked about this, on my show and with a few other people too, this has potential to be the biggest women's match in WWE and WrestleMania history. I mean, it's two extremely talented people who know how to evoke a response and evoke emotion from an audience. And I think they can go out there and put on an extremely memorable one-on-one bout. bout pardon me, one-on-one bout. I, I couldn't agree with you anymore. I, I think you're 100% right. <laughs> 
Braun Strowman teases that he might reveal who his partner is for WrestleMania. Ends up beating Sheamus. We don't find out who it is. Take a guess. Who do you think it's going to be? Well, you know, I, I, off initial booking, I would have said Elias, but they keep pushing that Elias has this big special performance that he's going to do at WrestleMania. So I guess that's replacing this year's typical flow rider concert. So uh, instead of that, we'll get Elias. Uh, you know, Sports Illustrated's been dangling around that if Ray Mysterio is ready to go, this is going to be his spot. I I don't really know, man. I, I got to be completely honest with you. There's so many different routes you can go. I, I look, you could do the strange bedfellows thing where it's someone like a Kurt Hawkins who hasn't picked up a win. It breaks his streak and it really has nothing to do with him. Or it's someone who's, you know, a legitimate star power guy like, like a Ray Mysterio or like a legend coming in, like a big show coming in to just go and take that spot. I don't see Braun Strowman in the tag team title picture for very long. So I, I don't see this as much more than just a way to get him on the card and maybe get him a short little title run in his pocket. Yeah, that's a good point. You mentioned Elias. <laughs> I don't know. I love Elias. I thought oh, yeah. maybe my favorite segment of, of all of Raw Monday was him in the ring. He, he's so good at getting the crowd to chant his catchphrases and then turning on the crowd wherever city's in. Like it was Cleveland this week. He ran Cleveland down. He ran them down. He talked about LeBron. Can't wait. LeBron's going to leave again. He is so good right now at getting the crowd in the palm of his hands and then dissing the shit out of them. One of my favorite things about WWE as a whole right now. There's something in wrestling that they refer to as the it factor. The Rock had copious amounts of it. Roman Reigns has a lot of it. Elias has a ton of it. You know, it's uh, the ring work is probably his weakest area, but you can conceal those things when you have someone who is so good at eliciting a response from a crowd. And like you said, getting under their skin and he'll be a great baby face too. When that day comes too. second last thing with raw, what's your thoughts right now on Ronda Rousey? How do you think she's looking? Does it look natural to you in the ring? Does it look like she's got a long way to go? Not just with wrestling, but performance, you know, the whole thing that goes into being a great WWE superstar. I mean, she's obviously, she's even with Kurt going against uh, Stephanie and triple H at WrestleMania. What are your thoughts right now? What's your level of looking forward to that match? Yeah, well, I'll say this. I thought the best thing on Raw was the Triple H and Stephanie package they aired. I thought that was the best thing on Monday Night Raw and the best kind of promo that we saw from a heel character in a long time between Triple H and Stephanie. Referring to Stephanie like an NFL athlete, I mean, it was just ridiculous. But it was so excellent because that's what a heel should do. Um, Rhonda, you know, the judge, the jury's out, man. I mean, we, we don't know until she steps into that ring. I can tell you one thing I don't want to see. I don't want to see her walking down that long ramp at WrestleMania with a smile on. Right. Uh, I want to see more of that badass Rhonda face, you know? I mean, that's, that's her moneymaker right there. And she comes out and does a lot of the smiley McGee stuff and, you know, it's fair and whatever. But when she turns that, that dirty scowl on, she becomes a moneymaker and I hope to see much more of that. And, you know, people's promos evolve over time. I mean, keep in mind when Kurt Angle first came in, he wasn't very strong on the microphone at all. Right. And then he evolved uh, over time pretty quickly. I would hope the same comes of Ronda if they don't give her a mouthpiece, but I just, I want to see a serious Ronda Rousey go into that ring. Cause uh, there was, were certainly some weaknesses in that segment on Monday night. Could agree with you more. I don't want to see Ronda Rousey slapping hands with fans in that Big smile on her face. Right. You are spot on right there. I couldn't agree more. Nasty Ronda Rousey is the best Ronda Rousey for sure. Last thing I raw now, Cena beats Kane in a match. You'd expect to happen. We didn't know if The Undertaker would come out. Turns out he didn't. At the end, Cena runs him down further. He had a good line. He goes, I know you're not death. You're just a coward. No, nothing's come. Now we're inside two weeks of WrestleMania. Still no Undertaker. I thought that this was going to be the week Monday 
where we would have saw him or at the very least some type of sign. Are you a little bit surprised that they're going to stretch us out all the way to the last week when everybody knows that this is going to happen? No, I'm not surprised uh, because, again, this is a match that sells itself just on the hype alone, and WrestleMania sells itself. So you can get away with pulling this thing all the way to WrestleMania. Um, you know, I, honestly, I wouldn't even put him on Raw next week. I, I would have him answer it, and I would have him, you know, make the match official, but I wouldn't have him physically there. Let that first moment that these two are in the same place be in that ring at WrestleMania staring each other down and, and get that Hulk Hogan versus The Rock moment where this place is electric and surrounding them, and that be the first time they lock eyes. Because you've held it out this long, and there's no reason in my mind to squander it on, on a random Monday Night Raw before the pay-per-view. Make people pay for that moment, and it will be totally electric. And what I would think would be an environment similar, not quite the level of Hulk Hogan and The Rock, but... It's one of those last big dream matches that people can get for a long time here as this new era of people come in. You know what? I never thought of it that way. That's a good point, man. Fuck it. Don't no Undertaker next Monday. I agree not. All right. <laughs> I mean, look, you need some sort of you need some sort of answer to make it official. Right. But I just I wouldn't I wouldn't put him out there in the ring with him. I, I just and they might and that's fine. They might do it in a great way and it'll be awesome. But I would I if 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 I were to be in, in with the pen here, make people pay for that big moment, which might very well be the main event of the show. And uh, God, I mean, it, it really would be one heck of a moment for a match. So I know a lot of people initially weren't very excited to see, but I, like I said, I think John has done the best he absolutely can to make this thing as big as it possibly can be. Real quick, do you want Dead Man Undertaker or Badass Biker <laughs> Taker? What do you prefer? <laughs> Uh, well, look, I was at WrestleMania last year, and I thought I was seeing the actual retirement of the dead man character. Um, should he go out as the dead man? Yes. Would I hate seeing the American badass? Not with the nature of the way this feud has gone, where they've been kind of breaking down that fourth wall and, and bringing some believability into it. But gun to my head, I think we see the dead man. Okay, okay. Let's move to SmackDown real quick. I just want to get through a couple things here. Uh, Rusev and Jinder Mahal tag against Orton and Bobby Roode. They win. Rusev gets the pin and eventually we find out he's being added to the U.S. title match at WrestleMania. So there's that. Nice little way to get him on the actual card. My question, I guess, with this is, does it feel to you like Randy Orton's kind of checked out? Maybe it's just me. It just There's nothing about him right now that I find interesting. I don't know if he's just stuck in in angles that, that aren't helping him, but it just, this isn't the Randy Orton that I've liked seeing for so many years. Yeah. I mean, look, Randy Orton's always better as a heel than he is as a baby face. I think there's no doubt about that. Uh, you know, I mean, it's fine. It's a multi-person angle and you got to get as many people on this WrestleMania card, I guess. And look, Rusev's got to be, Rusev had to be in a match on this card that was bi bigger than the battle Royal, just because of the response that this guy elicits. Sure. Um, but guess what? Now Rusev's got to win that match. He better. I mean, he is going to get so much more of a response than anyone else in that match because he's the hot hand right now. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, you go with what's hot. I would imagine this was probably a last minute change. And if you're going to make that last minute change, go all the way with it. You know, go all the way with it. Let him win that title. Have him go baby face. It's what the people want to see. And I think you could do something really special with this guy because, look, I mean, he's a world champion caliber performer. You know, there's a little bit of silliness to him, but he's got so much charisma. The Rusev Day stuff is incredibly, incredibly over right I now. I love it. Run with, some, run with something that's hot, man. Now, speaking of WrestleMania matches and winning titles, is Dolph Ziggler ever going to have a singles match at WrestleMania? Yet again, he's not. Yeah. He's an Andre the Giant. <laughs> maybe that should be his gimmick for the rest of his career. You know, the Undertaker had the streak. Maybe, maybe it should be. I, I I don't see a way. I don't. I don't. I don't know. Unless they do some sort of weird one-off. Look, I mean, look. Who would have thought Jerry Lawler versus Michael Cole would be a WrestleMania match at one point? But it was, and so who knows? Second last thing, and you mentioned him at the top. Daniel Bryan comes out. 
and he proposes a match for uh, Zayn and Owens, which of course they immediately accept, uh, accept, I'm sorry, on Twitter, where if they win, they're back in. If they lose, they stay fired. And it's going to be Daniel Bryan teaming with Shane McMahon. What are your thoughts on that match? Kind of feels to me like maybe Daniel Bryan's going to pick, taste that L in his first match back. What are you thinking? Well, let's see what the situation is with Shane McMahon because, uh, you know, this diverticulitis stuff is very much a real thing. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, diverticulitis almost killed Brock Lesnar. Mm-hmm. So let's see what kind of effect it has on him. Um, yeah, the way the situation and the stipulation was set up where I think they said that they would be, they would not be rehired if, if they lost that being Zane and Owens. I mean, to me, it says one of two things. It says, yeah, maybe Brian and, uh, Shane are taking that loss or maybe Owens and Zane are going over to Monday night raw because maybe they're fired from SmackDown, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're fired from Monday night raw. If that's the route they want to go post WrestleMania. But uh, look, it's going to be a big, big, big moment. I was in New Orleans when Daniel Bryan won that championship, and it was just incredible. It was really one of the loudest responses to anything in any sporting event I've ever been a part of. And it's going to be a big moment for him uh, come next Sunday. Um, win or lose, I really don't care. I'm just so happy that he's back. Of course. Absolutely. It's such a great story, too. It really is. And the the long-term ramifications that it has on pro sports, too, you know, the NFL would have to admit that it has a concussion problem in order for it to actually embrace that kind of healing technology. But if imagine if they did, how many people would be better off for the long term? It'd be fantastic. Yeah, I agree. And, and listen, I'm going to admit it. I had a couple of little man tears in my eyes when Daniel Bryan was out last week, giving his speech that he was coming back. And when he talked about his wife supporting him, how do you not get emotional? That shit was awesome. Absolutely. Like, I'm with you. Last thing, we're obviously Nakamura versus AJ Styles at WrestleMania. Uh, Nakamura beats Benjamin Sheldon on SmackDown. Post-match, him and Gable come on the attack. AJ saves him. And then uh, when he's down, Nakamura teases that he's going to give him the kick, but doesn't, smiles at him. Uh, I, I'm, I'm dying to see this match. This is, You know what? I'm a WWE guy. I'm a mainstream guy. I'm going to admit this. I never saw them wrestle in Japan or anywhere else, so... It's going to be the, yes. So it's going to be the first time I've ever seen them wrestle. I'm so excited to me. It is a dream match. So in that regards, I'm so pumped, but you know what? I just feel like WWE right now, they haven't done the best job of hyping this as such. When you think of wrestling and I get it, there's much bigger names, but this feels to me like it's like the fifth or sixth best match on the card, or I should say big, not best, the fifth or sixth biggest match on the card right now. Do you feel like, WWE, and maybe I'm wrong, like maybe they dropped the ball a little bit, getting the fans excited about this match. I think it's another one of those matches where the match kind of sells itself. Uh, I was also at the Rumble this past year when Nakamura won, and everyone in that building energy was palpable uh, when when Nakamura won, and, and you wanted him to say, AJ, stop. I mean, it was a buzz. And I think the match does sell itself. Now, I highly, highly, highly recommend if you get a chance before WrestleMania, go back and watch that Wrestle Kingdom 9 uh, main event between Shinsuke Nakamura and AJ Styles. It is absolutely incredible. And I suspect that they will have a fantastic match this time around, too. I thought this week of build to it on SmackDown was the best they've done so far. I thought Nakamura was awesome this past week, and it was some of the best promos that he's cut on the main roster so far. Um I agree with you that maybe the match doesn't necessarily feel as big as it should, but I think that's because everyone kind of knows it's going to deliver. My bigger question is where is this match on the card? You know, this is a WWE championship. We're talking about yep. the most storied championship in all pro wrestling. That was going to be and my last I would question. Not be surprised. I would not be surprised if this opens the main show. I would not be surprised at all. And it would be a great call in terms of getting people excited but it would also take so much energy out of yeah. the show because I, I do expect them to turn to just tear the house down. I've thought of that too. And that was my thought. I'm like, I could see it going first because it's not going last. We know that, but you're right, right, man. You put that match first. I hate to be second or third on the card after that. You know what I mean? The energy level is going to die for a little bit after that. If you put it first. So eh, I don't know. I, man. I, I think if, if I had to take the pen, I would put Oscar and Charlotte first on the main show. Cause I think they will go out there and just give it everything they've got. 
and and really impress people. But I, I, I could see a situation where that WWE Championship match, which is just crazy to think about, given the history of the company, uh, that it would actually open up WrestleMania. It'd be pretty crazy, but... I, I can't stress enough. Go watch the New Japan match if you can. And if you haven't watched that New Japan main event from this past weekend, it was unbelievable as well. There's some great stuff there, too. I'm going to check it out. All right, John, you know what? Tell everyone listening what you're up to with these podcasts that you do and where they can find you on social media. Sure. Yeah. So uh, Living the Gimmick drops every single Wednesday. Uh, you can find that at the LTG podcast. It's part of the Wrestle Reaction Network at Wrestle underscore React. Today, we actually just dropped. A, uh, and you'll probably appreciate this, a watch-along episode of WrestleMania X7-17, generally considered by some to be one of the best WWE pay-per-views of all time. Nice. Four-plus hours watching along that show, The Rock and Austin. It was just so great. Um, I'm also, uh, I work the independent scene here in New England, and uh, we've got a big show coming up this weekend. If you're in New England, come check it out in Westbrook, Maine, right by Portland. Uh, Limitless Wrestling's Only Fools Are Satisfied event that's this Friday. Uh, 7.30 at the Westbrook Armory. And, uh, man, I, there's too much other stuff. Don't worry about it. That's good for now. I, I appreciate it, though. <laughs> and you can find me on social media at John Alba, J-O-N-A-L-B-A. Thanks, buddy. You know what, John? I really appreciate you coming on. I know you're busy. In fact, you literally just got off the desk and you're going back there soon. So I appreciate your time. I'll tell you what, man. After WrestleMania and the smoke clears, maybe after the roster shakeup, which will be coming soon after that, I'm going to get you back on here and we'll, we'll break that down, too. Hey, whenever you want to, man, I'm always down. I really appreciate it. All right, I'm going to go check out that New Japan match. Sounds good. All right, that'll wrap up this first Thursday episode of this podcast. You know what? Real quick, before I get out of here, I want to give a shout out to Casey Middlestat making his NHL debut tonight. His much-anticipated NHL debut for the Buffalo Sabres tonight. Hopefully he can inject some life into that pathetic, sorry, dumpster fire of a fucking hockey team because the fans deserve it. They keep spending their hard-earned money watching this trash bag team play. Things have got to start turning around, and hopefully Middlestat will start to be a big piece of that, along with Eichel and a couple of others, because frankly, they could ship everyone else the hell out of town. Hopefully things start to turn around soon and maybe tonight will be a little glimpse into what could be a better future. So anyway, big, huge thanks again to Scott Reiner for coming on and talking Yankees with me. John Alva did a great job talking wrestling and I look forward to having both of them on again in the future. If they can make time for me, that is. If you haven't done it already, please go and subscribe to Apple Podcasts. The shit is completely free. You subscribe, and you don't have to do anything else after that. Every time a new episode comes on, it'll automatically be sent to your phone or to your computer, whichever you use. I will be back again Monday, and I plan on having a football-heavy episode on Monday. I got someone lined up. Don't want to say who it is, just in case things fall apart. I don't want to look stupid, but I promise you this much. Assuming he does an interview, I'm going to have a really good guest on for Monday. I'll also have Pat with Pucks again, so... Have a great, safe weekend, and I'll talk to you guys soon.